that's a that's a good Beller song, but it has great, great message in it, and we thank God for it. And what messages we've already heard in the songs this morning. So uh, what a blessing. Last week we dealt with the subject of truth and how there is not your truth and my truth. There is truth. It's God's truth. And He alone establishes it. And without truth, we have nothing. Without truth, we may believe something is true, but it will end up failing us if it truly is not true. But truth must be applied to every area of our lives. And and it's important that we not just compartmentalize truth and, and talk about truth at church or in our personal devotions or whatever, but that we disseminate it through every area of our life, that everything that we look at, we look at through the lens of truth. As, as Baptists, our number one distinctive is the Bible is our only rule for authority and practice. It's not the tradition of man. It's not we've always done it this way. If it doesn't match up with the Bible, then we need to change to match up with the Bible. But it's not just for doctrinal purposes in the church. The Bible is to be the standard for every area of our life. And, and many times we, we fail to make the applications in the different areas of our life. And we get caught up in debates and discussions about things that we've, we've left the basic foundation and so we don't have anything to stand on. As, as an under-shepherd, as a pastor, I'm going to answer to God for everything that I've done and what I've lived here as a, as a pastor, as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a citizen. And, and I'm going to, because this is what he's put me in to do, I'm going to answer for how I've equipped you. And I answer for that. You will answer for what you've done with the equipping, all right? And in the last several years, um, we've seen in our society some major uh, tremors of our society and affecting every area of our life. And as you look at that, you begin to think, man, what is going on here? And, and as an under-shepherd, I'm, I'm burdened, okay? How do we prepare people for the coming storms? Well, I know it's only through the Word of God, and I know it's through um, building our faith with Him, and and praying about it, okay, how do we equip? And I was burdened in certain areas regarding truth that 
Are we making applications of truth in these areas? And through the process, came across the book that we're, the study guide that we're now in. Where do we go from here? And as I started looking at it, I, um, I thought, man, this is, this is pretty current. You open it up and you read the introduction. Hope you've already done that. But um, you read the introduction and it's writing about Laura and Wyatt's honeymoon. You think, really? It wrote about that? It did. The first thing in the introduction, it's talking about the building that collapsed that they were right there with. I said to him this morning, I said, not often you open up a book and you read it and you say, they're writing about me. But it gives you an indication that this is kind of how current it is and relevant it is, but it's only good as long as it matches with this book. And it is important for us to understand the ramifications of the Bible in every area of our life. So we're asking today, what does the Bible say? And, and bear with me, we are laying some foundations here today in the opening part of the message, and near the end we're going to make some comparisons. But what does the Bible say? Years ago, I heard Dr. Glenn Jasper say, the Bible is God's mind concerning everything. If you want to know what God thinks, you look to the Word of God. And, and what a blessing that we have access to it. What a blessing that we're, you have the ability to read, we have access to it, we have all the study helps available and everything. And so we need to ask, what does the Bible say? And some of this will be elementary to you. Some of it may be reminding you of things. But again, these are foundational. So we ask, what does the Bible say about origins? About where things began? Well, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God is the creator. God is the source of life. He is the source of liberty. He is the source of rights. He is the source of blessing. He is the one that, that brings blessing and cursing. He is the one that established the laws of nature. He is nature's God. And, and the Bible goes clear throughout if you turn to Colossians chapter 1, I think it's important for us to, to see it isn't just Genesis 1. It is throughout Scripture that this is manifested and seen. And, and this is foundational to everything that we'll look at in this study. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. 
All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. It tells us here that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. He was before all things. He created all things. By him all things are held together. Believing in creation does not, does not mean you do not believe in science. Science is observing what is already here. And science has said, we know there's electrons and neutrons, and, and yet we don't know how they all stay together. The Bible tells us how they all stay together. By Him, He sustains all things. He holds all things together. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the Bible tells us, and this, this is the most foundational it tells us our origins that God created us. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things exist. In His creation, then, we know that He made Adam and Eve. So we ask, okay, what does the Bible say about family? Family is the foundation of a society. And, and many series have been done. We've done series here in our church on, on marriage, husband and wife. We've done on parenting. The Bible has much to say about family. And last Sunday we, we touched on it a little bit. And I'm, I'm just going to touch on it briefly here today. But to have a proper view of family, we must view it as God views it, not through society's eyes. God said that a marriage is made up of one natural-born man married to one natural-born woman. This was God's design. He said that sex is a wonderful design, designed by God to be in marriage, in a marriage union. This is God's design. Why did He do that? To hinder our joy and happiness? No, to enable us to have the most joy and happiness without adverse consequences. If, if mankind had just followed God's design, do you understand there never would have been sexually transmitted diseases? They wouldn't have happened. That's a major issue in our world today. So God did it for protection. He spelled out that uh, as a husband and wife, they are to picture the love God has for mankind. And a husband is to love his wife the way Christ loves us. And the wife is to honor the husband the way the church is to honor. And he spells out, children, obey your parents in the Lord this is, this is all God's design, and He told us the design so we could enjoy life to the fullest, so that we could honor Him, show that, wow, God's ways are best. Well, from the very beginning, Satan has always sought to attack God's design, and in the family, 
He has done much. We'll talk about that more later this morning. But another thing that God did right from the start, He, even before God brought to Adam his wife Eve, God gave work to Adam to do. So we ask a question, what does God say about work? Well, work is not the result of the curse. Difficult work that you battle all the elements of this life is the result of the curse. But work is a good thing. Work was established. Adam was keeping the garden, working in the garden before sin entered the world. Work, God honors work. God holds in high esteem, work. And he laid down the principles throughout Scripture that shows that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. He's giving some exhortations. And notice verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has nothing. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. So, he said, the way you get things is not stealing. If, If you were into stealing, he says, Knock it off and go get a job and work so that you will have to take care of yourself and that you can help others also. And then he carried it even further and he said, if anyone does not work, they shouldn't eat. What's the solution to laziness? A hungry stomach is what God's saying. And he's elevating, not as a curse, but as a blessing, we were made to, to work and to be diligent. And he says in 1 Timothy, a workman is worthy of his labor. So, okay, you work and through your work you obtain certain things. So we ask, okay, what does God say about, about property? Are we supposed to own anything? Does God say anything about that? Or is God just about, you're a sinner, Jesus Christ is a Savior, and you need Christ, and all this other stuff doesn't matter? No, God speaks much about property. We read in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, Thou shalt not steal. Well, if no one owns anything, how can you steal from them? What he's saying, we read in Ephesians, let him that stole, you're taking something that belongs to someone else. Also in Exodus, he said, 
You, you shall not covet your neighbor's land or your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's possessions, meaning they own things. In Acts chapter 4, in the early church, it says that, that they sold their land and brought revenues from the selling of their land to help spread the gospel and help meet the needs of others. So, God establishes that property is His design. We, we move on quickly. What about accountability? Do I answer to anyone? Well, we read in the Scripture, God created all things. He's the Creator. He's the Lawgiver. He's the Redeemer. And He's the Judge. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Every one of us will someday answer to God. We must all appear, he's writing to believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things that we have done in this body. Jesus gave the parable of the talents. He said, some received five, ten, some received one, some received five. Another instance, some received five, some received two, some received one. But they were all held accountable to God. What did you do with what I gave you? There was accountability there. We will be and are accountable to God. So we ask one other question. What does the Bible say about the heart of man? Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That our hearts are born in sin. You never have to teach a child how to lie. You never have to teach a child to be selfish. You never have to teach a child to throw a temper tantrum. You never have to teach a child how to be deceitful. Those just spring up from us. By nature, our heart is deceitful and it is desperately wicked. And we are sinners and we have sins that separate us from God. And unless our sins are forgiven, we will be separated from God for all eternity. The heart of man must be transformed By the working of God. The heart of man is spiritually dead. It must be born again spiritually. We must be born from above. So these are areas, different areas from origins all the way to accountability to the heart of man. These are areas that the Bible specifically addresses and many, many more. But we want to make comparison now. And, and it will be coming up on the overhead. We want to make comparison. One of the dangers that we're facing in our society today and in the world, and this is one of the things that, that I was concerned about, that how do we equip people for this? How do we teach the truth and equip this? And some of you may have looked at the book and thought, oh, man, 
I don't want to study this. I want to just go straight to the Word of God. That's all I want to study. Well, this is making application for the Word of God. Throughout all of history, there have been over and over again, this has been repeated, and it's all turned into a disaster, and my people die for lack of knowledge. So what we're aiming to do through this study is to make application of the Word of God. How does it plug in, for example, to socialism? Socialism, technically speaking, there's some difference between socialism and communism and Marxism, but for the sake of illustration this morning, we're lumping them all together. Maybe later today we may differentiate those, but Basically, they're the same. So, we're going to look at some of the things that we've already looked at from the foundation. Number one, about origin. We already mentioned God created it. Socialism, or communism, or Marxism, does not believe that God created. So, immediately, right out of the gate, it's in air. They believe in evolution, they believe in um, aliens from another planet brought life here, who knows what they believe, okay? But they do not believe that God created. Now, that's foundational, that's diametrically opposed to what we believe. About family, we see from Scripture that God designed the family. I don't have the time in this time this morning, but maybe later today. They desire to destroy the family as God designed it. They verbalize that. That That is not a hidden thing. It's in their manifesto. It's in everything. And, and, and we can show you, we'll, Try to dip into it a little bit today. What they have done to destroy the family. Why? They see the family as God designed as diametrically opposed to what they want to do and accomplish. And so, and they have been very, very successful around the world destroying the family. Even in Christian circles. And in Christian circles, we've... We've compromised in many areas of the family, and, and sad to say, in our nation, they have been very effective in destroying the family. About property, God teaches private ownership. In socialism or communism, they teach state ownership. Have you heard, have you heard anyone say, You will own nothing and you will be happy. How many of you have heard that? Okay, some of you, all right? This wasn't said by Lenin. This was said by current politicians. You will own nothing and you will be happy. They want to eliminate all private property because they believe to make things equal, nobody owns anything. And the government distributes it. 
Who's the government? Well, it's an elite handful of people that can live, as you look throughout history, in, in ultimate wealth while everybody else lives in equal poverty. So, again, diametrically opposed to the truth. Accountability. What about accountability? Well, as believers, or as the Bible teaches, we are accountable to God. Since there is no God, as communists teach, there is no God, you don't have to worry about being accountable to God. You're accountable to no one except the state. And if you agree with the state, you will be benefited. If you don't agree with the state, you will be punished. And that's their belief. That's their doctrine. Social credit scores. Have you heard of that? Well, it's happening around the world in many places. And that's their goal and desire here. So, no accountability to God. Accountability to the state. What about the heart? As we said, we said the heart is evil. It needs salvation. Ultimately, they believe basically the heart is good. And it just needs some management. And if you let us manage mankind... We can bring a utopia in, in which everyone will be equal, and everyone will have the same, and, and everyone will be happy with that. Well, you know mankind enough that no matter how equal you make it, there will develop jealousies, there will develop I want that and I'm going to take it. Why? Because our heart is evil. Our heart is not good. And this is the fundamental difference between Christianity and evil. It's the fundamental difference between true conservatives and leftists. It is this, that the heart is evil. It needs a Redeemer. It needs a Savior. It needs boundaries to be bound in. It needs the law of God. Not just, well, mankind is basically good and if we just give them the right environment, if we just give them the right things. So, I go back to, to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And as, as we see... And as you get in and learn more about socialism, you begin to see um, they violate many of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. They hate the family. They don't want to build that. You shall not murder. If you've done your study already, you've seen that Every, everywhere that communism or socialism has gone, there are multitudes of people that have been murdered and ruthlessly killed. That's history. 
You shall not steal. Well, you have more than you need. We're going to take it away from you and give it to others. You shall not bear false witness. Truth is immaterial. As long as it advances the state's cause, we can say it. Have you, have you noticed in our society today how truth varies? One day they say this, and a week later, maybe not even a week later, they say, oh no, now you need to do this, and now you need to do this. As long as it advances the cause of the state, that's truth. No, that isn't truth. Truth is unchanging. And Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Socialism is fundamentally at odds and diametrically opposed to God and to true Christianity. And it is important for us to understand that as representatives that love God, we are representatives of truth. We are ambassadors. And in Psalm 97 and verse 10, it says, If you love God, you hate evil. Now, if you love gardens... You can't say, oh, I'm just going to focus on the green beans. That's all I'm going to focus on or whatever fruit or vegetable you have. I'm not going to focus on the thistles. I'm not going to focus on the foxtail. I'm not going to focus on the morning glory. I'm not going to focus on, what's that weed you eat, Marilyn? I'm not going to focus on that. I'm just going to focus on my green beans. You can't love your garden unless you hate everything else. You, you have to hate thistles. You have to hate purslene. You have to hate foxtail. Why? Because they will choke out the very life of what you're wanting. And, and we think, all I, all I just want to do is focus on this. See, the problem is, as Christians, we have kept Christianity in the church house and it hasn't disseminated in every area of our life that everything we look at. What does God say about money? How am I supposed to handle money? What does God say about family? And that's why, in many cases, Christian families are just as bad off as those that don't know Christ. And so many times kids grow up and they say, if marriage is like that, I don't want anything to do with it. That shouldn't be the way it is for believers. We should be modeling. And in every area of our life, we must be building. The Bible is my only rule for authority and practice. So when someone comes along and and says, well, we believe that, that everyone ought to be given equal equal shares of everything. Okay, let's see. What does the Bible say? Well, Jesus said He gave some five and some two and some one. That doesn't seem to match up with that. 
And, and, and we need to start asking these things and implementing them. And, and promoting truth throughout all of history. You go to Venezuela, you go to China, you go to Korea, you go to Cambodia, you go wherever socialism is gone, in every instance, it has brought destruction because Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And it isn't just, well, this is my preference. No, God is for life and Satan is for death. God is for freedom and Satan is for bondage. And, and it is important that we realize the very things that we hold dear of liberty, of, of freedom, of the privilege to meet as we are here today, are, are in danger of being, I was going to say, ripped away. I don't know that they're even being ripped away. They're just slowly sliding away from us. Because many times we have just been focused on one thing. We've kept truth in the church house. In the Soviet Union, they didn't care um, to a certain degree if people kept their faith in church, just don't get it out in my life. Don't let it affect how I work. Don't let it affect how I build a family. Don't let it affect these things. And it is important that we come back and say, I'm going to build my life on the Word of God. In every area, what does God's Word say about this? And it is imperative. If we love God, we must hate evil. And it begins with hating the evil in my own heart. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And have you ever come to the point where you acknowledge your need of Christ's forgiveness of sin? Apart from that, there is no hope. We, we sang earlier today about our hope is in the Lord and He's forgiven my sins. If, if you have never called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, there is no future. There is no hope. You are separated from God for all eternity. But in Christ, we have forgiveness of sin. We're brought to fellowship with God. And now we're His ambassadors. It's important that we understand the battle that we're in. And if we love God, we must hate evil. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help us to see Your heart. I pray that You would help us to see the evil that seeks to thwart and destroy Your plan and Your cause. And yet, Lord, we rejoice today that nothing can stop Your ways. And I pray that we would be instruments of righteousness that would make a difference for you, for your glory. And Lord, that truly you would help us to begin in our own lives and measure every one of our thoughts, every one of our words, every one of our actions, every one of our attitudes by what does God say about this? And that truly your word would be the foundation of every decision we make.
and that we would properly represent you and that we would be salt in this world, that we would be the light in the midst of darkness. Lord, we rejoice that you've raised us up for such time as this, and we ask that you would help us to be faithful stewards of you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's